Hey, we, um, we just got back from Cuba last, last week, 46 people. We had a fantastic trip. It's, it's the third trip that Ascent has taken to Cuba. We had a high school trip there, and then last summer we took a trip there. This time, 46 people went to Cuba. Um, I, I'm on a high. I have to warn you guys, today I'm fired up because it, it was a really, really great trip. want to give you a glimpse of what we, what we experienced down there. We'll show you this video. This was another fantastic uh, trip for us as Ascent Church and for the relationship we have with the people in Cuba. It's all about relationships and the team of 46 people connected with each other. We are very blessed to have Ascent Church to be partnered with us in Cuba. And the task that was accomplished means for us at least between two and two months and half of hard work. We've been working a lot with gardening, which is awesome because part of the crops that we use there that we grow, we use them with the kitchen to provide food for some of the groups. We also give it to families that they need it. And the fact that you're doing all these kind of jobs for free, that means a lot. And we also did construction um, back there. They're building a pavilion. We're hoping that we can host more people, more groups here. The work we're doing in Cuba, it goes beyond the work that we're doing in Cuba or the work we're doing for the Cuban people or for the farm. The work happening in Cuba is inside all of us. The transformation is not just a building going up or plants being seeded. The transformation is an internal transformation that will change our hearts, our worldview, and the way that we live life day to day, even when we get back to the States. Today we had a very special day. Oh yeah, so today we got to work with community members and parents brought their children who struggle with disabilities and it truly is the least of these, the members of the Cuban society that just don't get cared for by the government or by anyone outside of their family really. And being a part of Cuba Connections is supporting them in such a tangible way. The donations we were able to give them today is going to feed those families for at least a month. Usually the government provided food only gives them three or four days. Willie Santiago said two things this week that stuck with me. He said all that he does and all that we do is through the grace of God and because of relationships. And because of the grace of God and because of relationships, we're able to do something beyond ourselves, beyond what we would expect to do. It's that type of life to the full that I desire and I believe everyone should experience and everyone should tap into. We wanted just to serve that purpose in, the, in this nation, no matter what political system are around us, because it's not about the political system, it's about the people. Today we are here talking to you because somebody from Alabama in 1940 came to Cuba and talked to Jesus, to my grandmother.
So we wanted to invite you to be part of this too. I'd like to see anybody consider this. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 30 years or if you're just exploring it right now. It doesn't matter because in the end, you come down here and God is so obvious and it's so obvious that God is at work that everybody picks up on it. All right, all right, all right. You guys, oh. It was, it was so good. And look, look, I know I, I've been, at, I, I've sat in seats and, uh, and when a missions presentation has come on and you're kind of like, all right, whatever, that was your experience. It wasn't mine. And, uh, you know, you could, so you want that, that, that just how was, how was Cuba and what's one sentence on how was Cuba? It was great. Okay, that's great. Well, did you know that Duke lost in the, in the NCAA tournament? You know, and it, that's, that's what you get. Um, you guys, this one's different. I hope that we all see that it's different. See, this trip wasn't just for 46 people or the 30-some people that went last summer. This, is, this, this trip is, is all of a scent because it's about the relationship, because it's about the friendship that we have with Willie Santiago and the people that are down there. Um, when you see Pastor Willie on there, you know, my hope is that, is that those that have gone call him friend and those that might go someday will call him friend. He calls you friends. He needs, you need to know that. He calls all of you friends. He, he came here the second Sunday um, that we were in this building. He came here to what he calls a scented church. And, uh, and, and we're going to give him a t-shirt that's just, we're going to make a new t-shirt that says a scent and an ED at the end. It's a scented church uh, for, just for Willie. Uh, but, but he loves this place and he loves all of you. And, and it's part of the friendship not just acquaintance, the friendship that we have. It's that kind of relationship that was, that's, that's happening over the years. It's what we do as a church. We want people to be connected to each other in friendship and relationship. And, and whether it's with our city and our principals and our, and our schools and our police department, all of it, or it's somebody thousands of miles away in Cuba, we want those friendships to be established because uh, we know that that's the way Jesus wants us to operate, okay? So that's, that's what happened, you guys. Those Friendships, they were, they, that relationship, we, we wanted the trip to be one that, that built relationships between us and Jesus, that built relationships between us and the Cuban people and us and each other. Uh, there were 46 people that had a really great time down there. Um, for me personally, I, I, I got to invite my daughter, one of my daughters to go down there with me. And that was really cool. I went to Maggie like three months ago and I said, Mags, I said, you want to go on an adventure with your dad? Come on an adventure with me. It was, I did a, it was Field of Dreams, man. It was, I was Kevin Costner in Field of Dreams where I went up, hey, Dad, you want to have a catch? You know, I felt like that where I went up to Maggie and said, hey, Maggie, you want to go on an adventure? And she goes, yeah, I don't think so. You know, and, but then over time she thought about it and she said, yeah, yeah, I'll go. And, and so I got to go down with her and got to see her experience that with, there were six other college students. There were a bunch of high school students. There were, there were people across all different ages that were there. This is a picture of Maggie um, with, with the ladies that, that cook for us down there. And we gave them all a scent aprons. Um, and they loved it because they said the black makes them, slims them down. And so they, they, they loved that. 
And, and, but Maggie got to present those to the ladies there that they're doing the cooking for us. And we just said, you guys extend so much hospitality. And at the same time you're extending it here in Cuba, we're extending it back in the States. And so it's just a, a very common mutual thing that we're trying to do. And they loved it. They teared up when we gave them the aprons. And so that was a, it was a really cool moment. I was bawling when Maggie was giving it out. My sunscreen was in my eyes. It's, I, mean, I, was, I, was, I blamed it on the sunscreen, but you know, it was, it was so great. But my favorite part of the trip, my favorite part were five people that chose to go, five ladies that chose to go that were over the age of 75. Okay. These five ladies, you guys, now, no, wait, wait, hold your clap for a second. Cause I'm going to talk about them for just a second. These five ladies, they did not choose to go together. They didn't talk about it together. They each individually, one of them wanted to bring their granddaughter down. And so she did, she came down with her granddaughter. They each had their own different reasons for coming, but they sat in this room and courageously said, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go on this mission trip. I'm going to sleep on a mattress that's about this thick. And I'm going I'm to go do work on a farm. And, and they each did it. And you guys, the life that these five ladies brought to the team and brought to our experience down there, it was remarkable. We needed these ladies on the trip. I learned, I learned, <laughs> Never ask a, a, a 76-year-old woman that's sweating like crazy and out on a farm working like crazy. Never ask her, hey, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Because then they just look at you, quit treating me like an old lady. You know, they, they, so I got yelled at for that. So you don't do that. My, my, my favorite single moment was when I walked up to Jane. She's, in, I don't, she's late in her 70s. I walked up to Jane and, and, I just, and she was sweating and tired. She was hauling beams and stuff. And, and I just said, Jane, I said, you know, do, do you want some water? Can I go get you some water? And she stopped. She looked at me. She goes, Bill, I just need a cold beer. <laughs> and I just thought... I'm going to go get you a cold beer. You need to go get a cold beer. Man, I'm telling you guys, it was so great. I, there, there was a moment where, where I'm sitting on the bus and I, I, one of the ladies is sitting there. It was, we fly into Havana and take two hour ride into Matanzas uh, and, and we're on that bus and she's sitting there with my daughter in college and they're just talking to each other for two hours. And I'm just going, that is so rich. I'm going to stop before I get going on my sermon. I'm going to stop. And you guys under the age of 70, go ahead and get on your phone and play around for a little bit because I'm going to talk only to the people that are 70 and older for the next 45 seconds, okay? Okay, you people that are over 70, can I just tell you, you have value. Sometimes you, you will say, well, I don't know. I'm too old. You have value. Do you know how much value those five ladies brought to our trip? Because see, you guys have life experience. You guys have great relationships and broken relationships. And you guys have, you've experienced life and you've probably experienced death. You've experienced, you've experienced really great decisions and really bad decisions. And a lot of you have a faith that has stood the test of time. And so you have something to give. Don't ever conclude that you, that, that you have nothing more to give, that you're, that you're over the hill. Over what hill? There's another hill there. Those five ladies just saw another hill, and they climbed that one too. And we were so blessed because of it. So, man, 
It doesn't mean go on the next mission trip. Some of you might, but it, uh, but it just means look for the ways to keep being able to pour out what you can give to people because you have a ton to give. Now we can clap for those people. That <laughs> It was also a cool trip because, because it was very much a cross-section of our church. We had some people that had been on tons of mission trips, and we had a bunch of people that had never once been on a mission trip before. We had some that had traveled the world. We had some that had never gone out of the United States. We had some that had been a, have been a Christian for a long time in their life, some that, that were but then kind of wandered away for a long time, and this was a first step back. We had a lot that were saying, I'm still exploring this. I'm trying to figure out who Jesus Christ is in my life. And see, I loved that. There was a point on the trip where I looked at the team and I'm just going, man, this has got to be the way Jesus felt when Jesus would speak to everybody. See, here's what we do. And this is what I got. What we do is we sort ourselves out. We say, well, I'm someone that doesn't read the Bible as much as someone else, or someone that doesn't pray as much as someone else, or someone that can't give as much as somebody else, or somebody that, that, that has all these experiences, and so they should be the one serving. And I, and I, Jesus never sorted people out. He looked at a massive group of people, and he's going, my message is for all of you. My love is for all of you. My challenge is for all of you. The needs that need to be met is for all of you to meet them. He didn't sort them out with, by age. He didn't sort them out and say, you guys are qualified and you guys are not. Those people that chose to go on, those, on the trip, especially those that were just getting, just putting pieces together in their relationship with Jesus, the courage that it takes to go. I sat there and I thought, man, I hope our church is a church of courageous people. I hope our church is a church of people that will say, if a Bible study is being offered and I've never touched the Bible before, I'm going to go because I need to learn, even if I might feel awkward doing it, because I, just, I need to take that step. I hope our church is a church that would say, I love high school kids, but I've never once helped serve with high school kids. Well, I'm going to and take that courageous step because we're the only ones sorting ourselves out. God's not sorting us out. He's not saying this is only for some people. He's talking to all of us. And I, I'm, I was so blessed over nine days to have those courageous people across that board that just go, I'm going to step out and do this. And I love that. And see, you don't have to go on a mission trip to take that step of courage. It says, I'm going to do what I need to do as I take a step closer to Jesus. Today we're going to talk a little bit more about that because, again, every time I come back from trips like this, I still ask that question, how? How in the world can you go on a trip where you're actually paying and not getting paid? How do you, when you serve, why is it that you can come back with this inexplicable joy, even that you didn't, you ate rice and beans, I was gagging on them by day four, you know, and, and, and you're... I don't even want to mention the toilets and the garbage next to the toilet that you got to use. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, just a, it, it's just an interesting thing. But in the end, you come back so filled with joy. What is it? What is it about us stepping into need? Whether it's on a mission trip or not, what is it that gets us to a place of explicable joy? Even if we didn't get, you don't get paid for it, you don't get all kinds of reward for it. It's so countercultural. 
What is Jesus, and why does Jesus put so much priority on it? That's what we're going to talk about today. Father, we pray that, that you would speak to us today, and, and, uh, and, and we thank you that you don't sort us out. We thank you that we're all in this together. We thank you that there are people in this room that have known you for a long time and come into this room today in so much thanks, thankfulness for what you've done in their life, and they just want to praise you in that. And we thank you that there are people in this room that have no idea what that even means and that are just trying to put pieces together and they are just trying to figure out who are you and why do you care so much about us? God, we thank you that all of us can come right now, and you've got something in store for each one of us. you got something in store even for those high school guys in the back of the room that are saying, I just came because I had to come. you got something in store for them too. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, here's what we're doing. We are, we are in this series called The Final Four. And let me be honest with you, the reason we're calling it The Final Four is just because The Final Four was just happening. So that's just, we're just being relevant with this final with the title The Final Four. The whole idea on this series, and we don't care about The Final Four anyway because Gonzaga Bulldogs aren't in there anymore, so who cares? Um, but, but the reason why we're, talking, we're, we're, we're doing this series is we were, we're looking at the last week of Jesus' life. And in this last week, when Jesus is, is heading towards the cross, what were those super important things that Jesus still wanted to leave people with? What were those things that Jesus is going, man, I, I, I know that I'm going to the cross. I know there's going to be lots of questions, and I need to speak into those questions that they have. I need, what were the things that Jesus shared at the very end of his life on earth before he went to the cross? Okay, we looked at those and we're going, you know, it's not necessarily the final four thoughts that he had. But what were those final thoughts? Well, as we put this series together, what was interesting is that Jim and, and Aisha landed on the same thing. Both of them landed on this idea, on this thought that Jesus had. To, he wanted to make sure people understood he was not leaving them for nothing. That he's going, I, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so he's giving us his Holy Spirit. And he started telling his disciples about his Holy Spirit. And Jim caught on that. And so did Aisha. And both of those guys over the last two weeks spoke about the power of the Holy Spirit. That God is not leaving us nor forsaking us. But he is right there with us. And he gives us the power to forgive our enemies. He gives us the power to pour on mercy. He gives us the power to step up and say, I'm going to go to, to serve or I'm going to go do something. Even in my exhaustion, I'm going to. That God gives us the power through his Holy Spirit. And so those guys talked about those things. What I'm going to talk about today is I'm going I'm to I'm zoom on in from, from a week out to days out to hours. Hours before he went to, gar to the Garden of Gethsemane. Hours before he went and was, was arrested by the Roman guard, hours before the cross. What was he thinking at that time? See, he pulled his disciples together and had one last chance in front of all of them to talk about one more thing before he was going to the, gonna go to the garden and get arrested. One more time in this upper room where he could talk to them about, about something. And John says this, John, John writes about this and he says, 
He says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and he had come from God and was returning to God. He writes this as Jesus was entering into the upper room. Jesus knew all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus knew as he walked into that upper room, he's going, I know there is betrayal in this room. I know that someone's going to deny me in this room. I know that someone is doubting me in this room. I know there's a ton of people in this room that courage is not going to win, but cowardice is going to win. And they will run in fear when all the stuff takes place over the next couple of days. See, Jesus knows those things. And so if you had all authority, if you had anything, if you could say one last thing, which one of those would you address? Would you address the fear or the doubt or the denial or the betrayal? What would you address in that last moment? Well, what's interesting is Jesus didn't address any of those things in that moment because he's looking at it going, you know what, I'm going to address those tomorrow. When I go to the cross, because my love for you is going to cover your doubt and cover your denial and cover your betrayal and cover your fear. I'm going to take care of that tomorrow on the cross. But what I need to do today is I need to help you guys to know how, how do we step closer to our God? How do, we, how do we live in the joy that you're all pursuing? Because he knows we're all pursuing joy. How do we live into that joy? And he's going, I'm going to show it to you in a way that you are not expecting. And here's what he did. He grabbed a towel and he walked over to Peter and he bent down on his knees and he started washing Peter's feet. Now, this gets lost in translation for us today because we don't even picture what those feet were like back then. We just think about our own feet, and if I took my socks off, it's a little sweaty, and that would be a little embarrassing. But when you think about feet back then, man, you're talking about disgusting, disgusting feet. You just picture life back there in first century Palestine, and they're walking around in their sandals, and they're going through the open market, and all of those vegetables that fall under the ground, and the water that's there, and it mushes into some muddy substance, and you're walking into there, and it gets in between your toes. Do you think they're going, oh gosh, I got something in my toe, just a second, guys, hold on. No, that's just still in there. And then they just keep on walking. We're talking about guys that are fishermen that are sitting in a boat. And, and when the fish come in and they got to clean those fish and they got to, they got to stab that fish in the rear and, and, and cut it up the backside and then let all the guts fall out. And you think when those guts fall out onto their feet, they go, oh my gosh, I got some guts on my feet. No, they're all over. And they're gradually getting hardened onto their feet. We're talking about walking through the streets of Jerusalem and some, some camel takes a dump in the street and, and Nathaniel steps in it. Is he looking for a stick to clean it out? No. We're talking about gross, sweaty, non-showered, sticky, hardened, gross feet that when you walk into a place, into any building back then, there would always be, there would be most of the time some little kid that was sitting in the doorway that when you walked in, they'd have a little basin of water and for pennies, they would clean your feet. Those little kids, this, this was the lowest of the lows that would clean your feet. 
Jesus walks up to Peter with a basin of water and starts washing his feet. And Peter's embarrassed. He's just what well, we he's like, what are you doing? You are the king of kings and you are washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. And this is where Jesus gives us the message. I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And this is when Jesus speaks to these guys. And this is what he says. He says, he says do you understand what I have done to you? He says, you address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. See, when we're in here in this place, and we're singing songs to Jesus, and he's the Lord of our life, we're, it, yes, that rightly so. Yes, I am the Lord. This is right. I am master and teacher. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet... I mean, think about that. You're in here and we're singing songs about Jesus as Lord. And then he comes in and he's on his knees. He's taking your shoes off. You're looking at him going, what are you doing? And that's what these guys were doing with Jesus. What are you doing? He says, this was, he says now you must now wash each other's feet. He says, I've laid down a pattern for you. You guys, we are always looking for patterns. We're always looking for, for something that, that helps us to know to go from point A to point B. We're looking for patterns. When you're, you're a parent of middle schoolers, come on, you're a parent of middle schoolers, you know the patterns of a middle schooler. You know you don't go get into a nice long conversation about life and school at seven in the morning as they're getting ready to go to school. Come on, at that stage, they're, they're, it's hard enough to get them to brush their teeth. You're not going to get one word out of them because you know the pattern of walking with a middle schooler. You know that pattern is, is home and then maybe to, to Chick-fil-A and maybe then they might give you three minutes of what their day was like. Because you know the pattern. You know the pattern in marriage Jackie and I know the patterns that we have, the patterns of when, when things are, when, when we know what we're, when we're doing it right and we're knowing we're doing it wrong, we look for patterns. I know that when Jackie makes a fantastic meal and then she does the dishes after that, I know I'm not making out with her later because she's like, oh, no, no chance there. You may, I did the dishes after I did that meal. I know the patterns. We're looking for patterns. We're especially looking for patterns with God because none of us really know how we're doing this. We're always looking for patterns with God because we're going, God, I don't know if I'm doing this at all right. And Jesus is going, I'm giving you a pattern to follow. I'm giving you a pattern. Wash each other's feet. He says, what I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master and an employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. Now, when he talks about that word blessed, when he says now, and this will live a blessed life, the easy way for us to translate it, that is for us to just go, he's saying you're on the right track. When you say, when you see blessed like that, he's saying you are on the right track. When you follow this pattern, you are on the right track. Now, it's important for us to know what track. 
He is not saying it's super important that we sometimes we forget all the time, it seems like. He is not saying you're on the right track, meaning you are going to inherit eternal life if you serve. He is not saying that you will earn it and then you will get eternal life. He's not saying follow my pattern and then salvation is for you. Man, that's religion. And Paul writes about that in Galatians where he says, we, I've set you free from that. You are free from the have to. But he's saying when your heart is beating and your heart is breaking and you see the need and you follow it, you're on the right track. On the right track towards what? It's on the right track towards the joy we seek. You're on the right track. It is this weird, weird thing that Jesus talks about. What he is saying is that our quest for joy is always about us at the center. And he's saying, if you take yourself out of the center, our quest for joy is about how much money we can get, where we can go, what trips we can take. Our quest for joy is is how many rounds of golf can I play this year? Our quest for joy, he's saying, take yourself out out of the center of the equation. Take yourself out of that middle. Meet the need. See what's what's happening in somebody else's life. And you're going to see that joy that only comes from the Father. Now, you guys, that doesn't make any sense. Why would we get joy from serving others? It doesn't make sense. I was reading a book called Wide Awake by Irma McManus, and he, he talks about this, and man, it changed my thoughts on it totally. Now, you know, strap in, because here we go. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. It says, everything should be done to bring, the, bring glory to God. That's Paul writes, everything should be done to bring glory to God. And Erwin talks about this and he says, he says, now bring glory to God. What in the world is glory to God? What does that mean that we gotta bring glory to God? Simple way to look at that is is to, to bring glory to God is to recognize his magnitude, to recognize his value, and to recognize his beauty, and to filter our life through the magnitude, the bigness of God. To filter our life through the the value, how valuable God is. To filter our life through the beauty of God. That's the glory of God. Because when we we see that and filter our life through that, then that's the reflection of God that God wants us to live in. He wants us to reflect his glory. Okay? And so, so when we see that his beauty, when we see his value, when we see his, 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 how, how his magnitude, then others start to see that too. That's what we're supposed to do. Now look, at, here's what he says. Get, get, track with me on this. In creation, he says this. Hold up, hold up. Go, go, not, not that yet. In creation, he says, he says, on day one, he created and it was very good. On day two, he created and it was very good. On day three, he created, and it was very good. On day four, he created, it was very good. On day five, he created, and it was very good. On day six, he created, and it was very, very good. And on day seven, he rested. What was very good about days one through six? 
In days one through six in his creation, he created, he created the heavens and the earth to reflect his glory. He created the heavens and the earth to reflect his magnitude, to reflect his value, to reflect his beauty. He created the heavens and earth. He had a master, he, was, he had a canvas, he had a brush, and he was painting his creation. He was painting all through all his, the mountains and the hills. It's why when you go into the mountains, when you go into to Breck in the spring, and you just see all the, the, the beauty that's up there, and people say, man, I drew closer to Jesus. I drew closer to God. I don't know how, but I did. You know why? Because that's a reflection of God's glory. It's a reflection of his value and his beauty and his magnitude. And we get to see that. And God had so much joy in painting that. That's why he's telling us to take care of his planet. Because it's a reflection of him. But on day six, it was very, very good. And you know why? Because on day six, he created humanity. He created you and me in his image. And on day six, all of a sudden now, he, we are a reflection of God's glory. We are a reflection of his magnitude and of his value, and of his beauty. But then there's something else too. We are also an expression of his goodness. He created us to be a reflection of his glory and an expression of his goodness. He's painting that picture. And he got to day six and he's painting you and me in his own image. And he's painting us to go, these guys are going to be a reflection of my beauty. These guys are going to be a reflection of my, of, of, of my, my, my magnitude and of my value. And he's painting that picture of, of, of all of it, including you and me in there. But when the fall came, it introduced, it introduced, I'm thirsting and, and, and who's going to give me water? When the fall came, it introduced, I'm hungry and who's going to give me food? I'm, I'm, I don't have a place to stay. Who's going to give me a place to stay? Who's going to give me a coat? I'm imprisoned. Who's going to free me from the, the things that I'm imprisoned by? All of a sudden, see, all of a sudden, you, uh, the doubt, I, I've got doubt. Who's going to help me in my doubt? I've got apathy. Who's going to light a fire under me in my apathy? I've got, I've got, I've got, I'm struggling like crazy with poor decisions. Who's going to help me walk towards a different path? See, get this. This is super powerful, you guys. We are the artwork. The Bible tells us we are God's masterpiece. We are artwork that he's painting. And then he hands us the brush. And he says, now... I want the art to become the artist. I want the art to grab a brush and paint to help somebody else see my magnitude and to see that what they're going through, I'm bigger than that. I want somebody else to see that when they value something, I, I, I'm more valuable. Will you, paint, will you paint for me and help them to see that I'm more valuable? When they're, when they're seeking beauty in some other, some human way, he's going, will you, will you paint for me and show them what, what, what my beauty looks like? When they need to know that our God is good, 
Will you be the expression of my goodness? Will you take a brush and be an expression of my goodness? See, that's what we've been created to be. We have been created to, to, to be the reflection of God. We've been created to be the expression of God's goodness. And when we live into what the Lord has created us to be, there is an inexplicable joy that comes with that because we're painting with him. He's got a brush and he's going, grab a brush too. And he's going, man, do you believe this? And you're going, I can't believe this, but this is actually really fun. And you're painting along with him. And there's a joy that comes with that. Look at what what McManus says. He says, creativity isn't the luxury of artists. It's the calling of humanity. Because the world is in decay, you must create. You are an instrument of the good and the beautiful and the true. You create not simply because you can, but because you care. You are inspired by the prospect of a more beautiful world that are fueled by a passion that cannot be contained. You create because you must. You cannot sit back and simply watch life happen. It's, it's why we just feel this draw to, to respond because we can't sit back because God is, has created us to be artists in somebody else's life. At this man, this 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 gets me. He says, You are created by God to expand the good. He created you for good. Every time you perform a loving act, every time you choose an act of mercy, kindness, and servanthood, every time you alleviate human suffering and bring hope and joy into a person's life, you've expanded the good and increased the honor God receives for creating you in his image. God loves when his children reflect. His character. I, I got to read that last part. You've expanded the good and increased the honor God receives for creating you in his image. God loves when his children reflect his character. There is an inexplicable joy when we reflect his character. See, Jesus knew when he was heading to the cross that more than betrayal and denial and fear and doubt, he knew, he knew how much God delights when we, ref- when we may express his character, when we express his goodness, when we reflect his beauty and we reflect his value and we reflect his magnitude. It's what he's created us to be. And I think this is why, this is why a woman can be sitting here in a a warehouse, in a gray chair at 77 years old and can hear about 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 an opportunity to go serve and could go, you know what? I made a pact with my dying husband years ago that I was gonna try to live the rest of my life for Jesus. And so I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna go on this trip. And she goes on a trip and she's digging in the dirt in Cuba. She's sorting rice from the the twigs from the rice. She's painting a picture with a college student on a bus. And as she paints, 
she paints in the life of a person in Cuba and a life of a person on a team and she's seeing God's creation and she's reflecting God's glory and she's expressing God's goodness and she's painting together. Something's welling up inside of her. An inexplicable joy is welling up inside of her. And so on the last day of the trip, I'm standing in, in, in two feet of water and I'm explaining to people that if you want to express what's going on on the inside, on the outside, if you want to, to say this, this inexplicable joy on the inside as I'm painting with God, I wanna tell people what he's doing in my life. This is why a 77-year-old woman is saying it's not too late and in her jean shorts and long sleeve shirt, says, I'm going out in that water to get baptized. And this picture is a picture of, the, of the, a group of us, the group of people that got baptized, the one from the second from the right is Jolene. Seriously. It was, it was, I told her, I whispered to her when we were out there on the water, I said, this is the highlight of, of my of ministry for me. That she would, she would, at 77, recognize the joy of painting with the Lord. This is why, one more, this is why a 15-year-old kid, come on, we all know what 15 looked like. Our lives, were, were fo we were focused on us. 15, your, your life is focused on you. And this 15-year-old kid goes, goes down there, his family goes down there with him, and he shares at the end of the week. He goes, I don't even know why I'm sharing this. I don't know why this is a big deal. But he said, but my, that moment where I picked up that, that lady that was mentally and physically disabled, and I picked her up out of the wheelchair and I walked her up onto the bus and I sat her down on the bus and then an hour later, half hour later, I picked her up again, took her back down off of the bus and put her back in the wheelchair so that she could go at this little carnival for each one of them, for people that no one else is loving. And he says, when I did that, something's going on. He said, I don't even know what it was, but man, that was the highlight for me. We know what it is. A 15-year-old kid picked up a brush and was painting in the life of that, that woman that he pulled off the bus. He's painting right alongside God, reflecting his glory and expressing his goodness. And this is Braden. I can't look at it because I'll tear up. This is Braden taking her off the bus and he gets to experience what it's like to live into what the Lord has created him to be. He doesn't sort us out. He doesn't say it's for one person and not another. He doesn't say it's for one age and not another. And what my job is when I take a group of people on a mission trip is to tell them, you know what? It's no different when you get back home. For every single one of us, he lays a brush out in front of us and he puts a towel next to us and he says, follow my pattern. Pick up the brush, take the towel, 
paint with me. People will be blessed and you will experience joy, a deep-seated, inexplicable joy when you reflect my glory and you express my goodness. Father, I pray that each one of us would, would recognize our, our recognize that the, the, the brush is right in front of us and it's, it, it, could be, it could be someone that is just getting to know who you are, that brush is still right there. Someone that hasn't known for a long time and has wandered far away, that brush is still there. Somebody that has picked up the brush a thousand times and you need to pick it up again. God, help us to recognize that the brush is there. And that we would pick it up. We get on our knees and look, look for the need. Find that person that is hungry and feed them. That we would find that person that is thirsty and give them something to drink. We'd find that person that's imprisoned and we would set them free. God, we, we pray that, that we wouldn't be limited in our view of how far that goes. That one conversation might help paint someone's picture. Lord, I know there are people in this room that need somebody else to pick up a brush for them. I pray that that would happen. Help us to live into what you've created us to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen.